Hello and welcome to Brokenomics. Now, in this episode, um, what am I going to talk about? I've, I've got a couple of things that I want to try and mesh together. Uh, and and it, in my head, it makes sense. So hopefully by the time I've just blurbed it all out, we, we, we get somewhere sensible. But I wanted to talk about um, uh, how banks create money, uh, what the implications are for you actually owning anything, given the implications of, of that, um, and then I kind of had a few thoughts on tech and geopolitics that I wanted to mesh together. So, so not entirely certain what I'm going to call this episode yet, but uh, hopefully once I've once I've got it all out there, um, it will actually tie together quite nicely. At least it, at least it did in my head when I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about. So um, first of all, let's talk about how um, banks create money because. Um, we, we, we've touched on this a couple of times, but we haven't quite got into the, the sheer duplicitous horror of, of how it actually works. So um, basically banks create money out of credit creation. So um, we, have a, we have a debt-based system, you, you know I've talked about that. But um, the, the actual process is, is, is quite disturbing because look, you don't actually deposit money with a bank. I know, I know you may think that you deposit money into your bank, but, but really you don't. What you do is you, is you are lending money to your bank. Uh, it, it, it is legally their money um, the moment it's, it's in their hands. And if you go down to your bank and you hand them a, a, a bunch of cash, you have now become a general creditor to that bank. That money that you've just given to them is now fully owned and controlled legally by that bank. You're just you're just now a general creditor, um, one one of its customers. You know, alongside if you if you have a small business, if you've got a general creditor, you know, the the plumber, the 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 landlord, whoever it is, um, you've got a bunch of general creditors. That that's basically the status of of somebody putting money into a bank. I mean, there's some some nuances around it, but but that, that's essentially where you are. Um, so so banks don't take deposits, which um, a lot of people will find surprising, but it, but it's actually true. Um, also, um, banks don't actually lend money; they they purchase securities. Now that that's the bit that that will really get people I know on this. So, um, when you go to a bank and you ask for a loan, what they don't do is they don't go to somebody else's deposits because, as we talked about, there are no deposits. Um, but they don't go to another pot of cash anywhere. Uh, take some of that and then loan it to you, which is how people think banking works actually what they do is they uh, they they purchase from you a a promissory note you know a bit like um you know bank of england note is a is a is a is a promissory note you know a promise to pay the bear on on demand and so on uh, even though that's that's become disentangled these days but essentially what they're doing is is they are purchasing a loan contract from you right Sound, sounds surprising, doesn't it? So what happens is is the bank, is, let's say you go to the bank, right? And you want to buy a house. So you want to borrow 300 grand from the bank. Um, what they actually do in that instance is the bank will purchase from you um, a loan contract for 300 grand, right? So that becomes a bank asset, which they call a custom deposit, although no one has ever actually deposited the other side of it. You know, that money is not... Um, transferred from anywhere inside or outside the bank. That money is basically created at this point. So, you know, they create the money, they record the assets of you now um, are going to be paying them a stream of, of, of revenues from this. They owe you the 300 grand, which is made available, which you then presumably buy the house with and is, is, is transferred off somewhere else. Um, but, um, but yeah, uh, that, that is how, how money is created. Now, 
I did find, and this is what, what prompted me to bring this up, a really good video that explains this um, from, the, um, from the Monetary Institute. So there, there's a guy on, uh, on a short video, it's about a 15 minute video, uh, Professor uh, Richard Warner, who actually I'd love to get him on Brokenomics, um, I must reach out to him, uh, which talks about the sources of, of money creation. So I'm going to put that link in the reading list and he, he basically explains his process very well. So if you want a fuller explanation of the bit that I just said, uh, by all means, go and check out that 15 minute video and, and he, he'll get into it in a little bit more depth. But it is worth thinking about the implications of this process of how money is actually created, how, how money is basically loaned into existence, how money, all money is debt. So contrary to, again, a lot of what people might assume about the banking system is um, central banks or governments don't really create much of the money. Uh, they, they can create money. They can create the sort of base money. They, they, they can create the sort of currency um, level money. But actually, something like 97% of all uh, money is created by, by private banks through this credit creation process. Um, central banks, you know, create the other 3%. Um, now, during lockdowns, of course, they kind of created a lot more than that or Technically, they didn't. It was liquidity, but we will come back to that bit. So the implications of this are huge because, of course, when you create money through this debt mechanism, so all money is debt, debt is created and, and money is created along with it. So essentially, actually, where, where is the money? What, what is the true point of money creation in this process? Okay, The true point of money creation could be argued it's when you start paying off your loan. That's effectively when, when money is created um, or when the, the, the money that the, uh, was created in that loan process is then shipped off to whoever, whoever bought your house and they start spending it. That's, that's effectively when the money creation process uh, takes place. But of course, with that debt that has just been created to create this money to uh, purchase the loan, the loan agreement from you, which has then gone off and entered the economy finally, and then you create the money when you pay it back, on top of that debt, you've got the interest. Right. This is where it gets interesting, because, of course, just stop and think through that process. All money is created as debt. Well, almost all money is created as debt. Um, and the interest is on top of that. So what does that mean? Does that mean that you could ever pay off the debt? Well, no, because um, there isn't enough money to pay off all of the debt plus all of the interest, because all of the all of the money is the debt. And then the interest is on top of that. So you see, you see what I mean. You have to you have to continually increase the amount of money, actually debt in this process, in order that you can pay off the interest on the money that you've already created. So you can see that we are in a process and have been in a process since since um, you know the, the creation of fiat money, where you've basically locked yourself into a process where you you have to continually expand. You have to continually inflate. Um, inflation is, and I'm using the, t the term inflation here to imply um, the perceived effect of inflation. So, so uh, the prices, uh, basically, your money buying you less every year. So, so prices going up. You, you've you've designed a system where inflation is very, very much a feature and not a bug of this process. Although. Uh, actually, to give him his credit, um, the, the good professor I mentioned earlier makes an argument, which which I will lay out, which is why it need not necessarily be that case. I mean, it, it has been that case. It has observed to be that case. 
Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll present the other side of, of why it potentially doesn't have to be that one. So um, central banks are, um, I think since 2008, have started to see some of the issues with this and where they would like to do things differently because they've started to acknowledge that, yes, central banks, uh, sorry, central banks are um, basically more the, think of them as the, the coachman. Um, on an old-fashioned um, coach wagon um, with the four horses in front and they've got the two reins and the two reins are basically uh, you know interest rates and um, money money supply um, which they can affect through quantitative easing or, or other methods like that sort of liquidity measures um, but it's really the, the the horses at the front that are that are driving this in, entire process what the central banks are talking about increasingly and this is something which I should probably do another um, brokenomics on now that we're getting a bit deeper into this this stuff because I did do a brokenomics on on CBDCs but I think now we've developed this concept enough between us that we can probably take that to the, sort of the next level. Um, what the central banks are actively talking about now is that they want to take that money creation process that I've just laid out to you away from um, commercial banks which are currently creating the money and um, basically take it take it entirely into their hands. So they would create all of the money. Um, as well as control all the money and be able to turn off transactions or block transactions to, to people they don't like as, uh, as they say fit. Now, if, if this were to happen um, and they're kind of running full steam towards it and, um, you know, the, the, the EU, for example, is, is very much behind um, the European Central Bank in order to get this done because, of course, it shifts power away from national governments to them. The process a little bit is, is, is coming up against more friction in, say, the US, for example. Um, if they were to achieve this, this would make the events of um, 1913 when the Federal Reserve was created look like just the start. It would be the biggest transfer of, of power and control to the elites that I think we've ever seen. I mean, it would be a, it would be a crippling blow to, to all freedoms. Right. So, so, so given that this is our system, OK, um, it is imperative that the way that this money gets created gets deployed right, okay? Because if we are going to have a, a system where where money is created um, on this sort of continually expanding basis, think about think about debt. What what really is debt? Debt is you're moving consumption from the future into today. So you're saying that you know um, I'm I'm going to take because if if I take out a, a loan for a thousand pounds today. I immediately get the £1,000, but I have to pay that back over a series of series of events going off into the future. So basically what debt is, is, is you're taking money from the future and giving it to yourself today um, that you then have to pay off, pay off in the future. Now, is that a good idea? Well, as we talked about in some of the earlier episodes of Brokenomics when we talked about debt, it, it can be. So let's say, for example, and I think the example I gave in that Brokenomics was, let's say you were a farmer. Um, you're a young farmer, you've just come out of farming college, you've got the skills, you've got the energy, you've got the passion, um, but what you don't have is a farm and any farm equipment. If you pull money out of the future, um, that's perfectly sensible because that young farmer, all they can really do is work in a shop because they don't have any capital behind them. If you can pull money out of the future and you can say, I'm going to take a big loan now, I'm going to purchase a farm and I'm going to purchase farming equipment, um, what that basically enables you to do is then start earning at a significantly higher rate. It dramatically increases your productivity, and therefore you can uh, you can then pay off that that loan in the future, having put yourself on a better future path. Okay, so 
if if banks are creating all of this money, this is our, our money supply mechanism. Where does that money go? Um, let me give you a couple of examples as, as, as to how it can go. So um, it can go into consumption. So you can borrow money and instead of investing it in your future, in raising your productivity and raising your ability to earn, you can um, basically consume it. You could go out and you could buy a car. Um, you could, um, you know, spend it on on a holiday. You could, um, you know, just 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 live the high life for a while. What does that give you? Well, it doesn't. It doesn't give you any additional earning power into the future. It doesn't give you any growth, um, any any um, um, improved prospects. Now, this is basically um, the the model that that governments are doing. So governments are um, borrowing money all of the time. And if you look at the biggest line items, we talked about this in Brokenomics before as well, as to the biggest items that the governments are spending their money on, it's all present day consumption. So it's it's uh, basically um, healthcare, so Medicare, Medicaid, or the NHS here in the UK, or, or whatever country you're watching this in. Um, it is uh, pensions, um, it's, it's, it's war, um, that's another big one that they like, but it was social security or welfare. So basically all of the, the government spending at the moment is, is, is focused around which, which is triggering them to, to make their borrowing, um, is all, is all based around consumption. Um, the other one, um, which is more relevant to this banking, um, issue is that it goes on, um, asset bubble stuff. So it goes on, it goes on asset purchases. This is particularly the case, by the way, in the UK. So we have a small number of banks. You know what have we got? We've got like Lloyd's, Barclays, HSBC, and you know whatever a couple, couple more Santander. So we've we've got a small number of I think we've got five um, banks. And when you look at where their money, the money that they're creating, where is it going? It's it's mostly going to mortgages. So it's mostly going to property. Uh, again, that is that is not making anyone more productive it's not because um you know you, you buy a house but it, it doesn't increase your ability to earn um it, it just basically gets you something which is you know necessary to live in and then you go off to to learn or, or to, to acquire a set of skills or whatever it is um the other version that we saw quite strongly over the covid era was um the, the the new money creation going into um, assets like the stock market or, or or crypto, and that's also very dangerous in this system. It's very because it leads to high volatility. Why is high volatility such a problem in this case? Well, let's say we have a situation where um, assets are pushed up, and these assets are the um, um, the collateral in the system, in the financial system. So equity values or um, asset values are pushed up 300% and then they contract 10% whenever the system is bust because there was a, you know, if there's a reserve requirement of 10%, well, even though it's gone up 300%, it doesn't matter. It's now contracted 10% off the high and, you know, your, uh, your, your, your system is now bust. So um, volatility becomes dangerous in this. Um, and again, what you're basically doing is, is you're impoverishing your future because you're you're simply spending or consuming or or pushing up a limited amount of, of stuff. Essentially, you're not creating additional stuff in the future. So, what would be the good form of this? What what would this look like if this system is being deployed properly? And this is by no means what is actually happening. The 
correct way of employing this process, if you were to get it right, would be that this money creation would be going to um, to raise future productivity. So it would be um, uh, loans would be available to um, uh, small businesses, medium-sized businesses, SMEs, um, businesses or individuals who were employing that money so that they could uh, increase their, their output in some way, that they could become more productive in the future. Um, simply not what it what is happening this is this is um uh, th th this is a million miles away from where we are now but that that is the argument as to why people feel that they want to keep trying to tinker with the system that we have and why you you could even find people who who are quite sensible on economics who are suspicious of something like my favorite idea which is going to something like gold or bitcoin because those are a very hard money standard and the the amount of money is inelastic and it doesn't respond well to financial conditions whereas with the banking system it could it's just it's just not being used right is is the argument my argument is that these people will never um employ this tool correctly because the incentives to pervert it is is always so strong um that that will always be taken. Therefore, I prefer the the definite negatives of a hard money system over a, over an elastic money system such as this. But to give them their dues, I just want to explain to you how they feel it could be done. So they they would argue that okay, if you if if this um, money creation machine was was um, directed instead of always going to assets, so the stock market or or property, it was you know sent to people who were acquiring additional skills or opening a business, all that kind of thing. Um, then uh, it it would be it would be worthwhile. Now, so you might ask, okay, well, why don't why isn't that the case? Why do, why don't we just do that? Well, um, instead of you know lurching around from periods of, of damaging inflation and asset bubbles and um, you know why don't we just have that high productivity growth by investing it to people who are going to going to do more in the future? The, the main problem is is because you need to remove um, a whole series of, of biases and self interests from the system, which is almost impossible to do. Um, and also you need sort of almost godlike central planners at the central bank who recognize um, where the, the, the winners of the future are gonna be and back them, um, which I, I don't think they're gonna do. So, I mean, the, the USSR did this whole process. They just did it very badly. Western central banks, I mean, they're essentially doing much the same thing. They're fundamentally doing the same thing. They're fundamentally still central planners um, it's just like instead of instead of the way that USSR did it, which is to plan every aspect of the economy, um, the central planners in our system are just trying to get better and better at how they direct the money around the system, which is the other half of every transaction. So it's um, it's an improvement on the process that the USSR did, um, but but not much of one because we're still controlling, like I say, the other half of every transaction, which is which is the transaction side, the, the money side, the liquidity of it. Okay. So let's weave in quantitative easing to this because I often, in shorthand form, refer to the events of twenty twenty, um, the QE that happened then, and the QE that happened after. Um, 2008, the great financial crisis, uh, I often refer to, to quantitative easing as money printing. 
And I wanted to tie it into that process that I described at the beginning of this. Now we're getting a little bit more nuanced about how, how the money is actually created. So the purists will get upset with me when I say that QE is, is money printing because um, you know the, the, the real money printing is, well, there's the literal money printing, uh, which is that 3% that the central banks do, which is the creation of, of, of actual physical cash and a few other items like that. Um, and then the 97%, which is the money created, or you know, you could get away with calling that money printing that the, that the, the commercial banks do. Oh, incidentally, uh, let me throw in there um, one point that just uh, that, that comes to mind is um, Paul Krugman sometimes argues um, that the government should just print a uh, or, or mint a, a trillion dollar coin or several trillion dollar coins. Um, and um, get themselves out of any sort of spending hole that they happen to be in. So this is—he's he's basically just saying, you know, um, th I mean, th th this would be just pure money creation. Um, so, so I had to throw that in because he has some some particularly loopy ideas, and he's basically wrong about everything. Uh, but nevertheless, he has a, he has a Nobel Prize in trade theory, so we're all supposed to go all Paul Krugman. Um, anyway, so no, no quantitative easing. Quantitative. Why why do purists say get upset when we refer to quantitative easing as as money printing they say no it's liquidity well because what quantitative easing actually does is it's a slightly different process um what it what it is is the the bank um goes out and buys a whole bunch of um securities from the banks typically government bonds that, that's mostly what they do although they can they can buy mortgage-backed securities they, they can buy whatever they want really um and when they do that they basically that that money again is not transferred from anywhere else they don't they don't go and get it borrow it or, or get it from government or save up for it anything like that it's just they they create that money um within the central bank's own account and then they go off um and of course if it's just in the central bank's account you know that that doesn't influence anything but what they immediately then do is go and buy a whole bunch of say government bonds from big commercial banks so that um, their balance sheet has now increased. Um, I think it's, the, 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 for example, the, the, the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve has gone from, it was three, maybe four, before um, lockdowns. It's now at something like nine trillion. So it's more than doubled in size since lockdowns, which was the, uh, you know, the, the moment of great liquidity. So um, they, they sort of, uh, you know, pull these... Um, uh, you know, government securities in from the market and swap them out with money. So the purists like to say, well, okay, well, that's that's not, you've had, if you haven't actually created money, what you've done is you've created liquidity. Because this is still, if you were to add up um, all of the, the money type stuff and include um, near money substitutes such as government bonds, which are traded, you know, you, you still come to the same amount in total. But what you've done is you've exchanged something which was not particularly liquid, which is those long-dated government securities, government debt effectively. You exchanged them for liquid cash. So you've injected liquidity into the system. Um, and, and I tend to push back on that and say, well, okay, yes, you might be technically right. It's liquidity rather than money creation. But it's a distinction without a difference because um, that money... Um, does go out into the into the real world it filters out into an increase and very immediately of asset price inflation um, and it does that for for a, for a couple of reasons and i'll explain the mechanism we, we start to get a little bit deeper into into the into the process here um, 
Yeah. So, so how, how 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 does it how does it push up those those asset prices? Well, well, firstly, because the banks now have a little more liquidity and they can they can deploy it as they wish. But actually, the, the probably the, the bigger effect is that because the central bank has bought in a whole load of um, debt. Do you remember how in the in the episode before last I talked about how the price of a bond is inverse to its yield? So, um, you know, if 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 something, you know, okay, a, a, a hundred pound bond paying five pounds a year has got a five percent yield, but if you um, halve the price, so the price goes down, it's still paying, so it's now worth fifty pounds, um, but it's still but it's still paying out five pounds a year in yield. Well, now the yield is is gone up from five percent to ten percent because the price and the yield that they move inverse to each other. So if if the central bank goes out and buys a whole load of debt. Lots of um, buying of those things is going to suppress the price of it because there's a there's a big buyer in it. Um, so so the, the so the um, sorry the, it's, it's going to sorry it's, it's going it's going to in, increase the price. Sorry, it's going to increase the price because you're you're taking um, a lot of those off the market. So you're creating a big demand for, for for those securities, and because you're increasing the demand for those securities, you're and the price is going up. You're decreasing the yield on it. Right. Why is that important? Well, that's important because governments are now able to issue additional debt at a lower yield, at a lower cost to them, which is very important for governments which are in, as indebted as our governments are, which is a lot of what happened um, in, in 2020. They had a good excuse, which was the lockdowns, to inject a massive amount of liquidity into the markets. It suppressed the yields on bonds because they were buying up so many bonds, um, taking them off of the market. Um, so you know, therefore, the um, you know the, the 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 prices rose on them, the yields went down, and it, it then enabled um, governments to get out of the, the sticky position that they were in. But they they needed to issue a large amount of debt, um, so they um, were able to issue that debt at fantastically low rates. Which makes the the, the massive um, surpluses that they're running, particularly through the COVID era, much more viable than they would have been. They they wouldn't have been wanting to pay high rates for for the period they did. The other thing that it, that this does by suppressing those yields on bonds, um, the other effect that it has on asset prices is that it lowers the risk premium against which assets are judged. Okay. So let, let me explain what I mean by that. If you're an investor and you want to put money aside for a long time, um, the book of theory says, the financial theory is that you can have a risk-free rate, okay? And the risk-free rate is the rate of government debt. I think that's becoming less and less true over time, but okay, fine, that's what the book says. Um, Therefore, if you are going to make any investment which is not government debt, supposedly the safest type of investment that you can get, what you need is a risk premium on top of um, whatever you can get for government debt. Okay, So let's say um, government debt is trading at 2% and you're going to invest in something which is slightly more risky than government debt. So let's say you're going to invest in the, year, in the, in the bonds of... Uh, an established company like Apple. 
well, you, you're not going to accept a yield that's less than 2% because that's what you can get for no risk. So if you're going to take um, almost no risk of, of, of Apple, you're still going to want that 2% plus a tiny little bit more because it's Apple, not the government. Um, and if you're going to buy bonds in um, something much more risky, some tech startup, um, then you would want 2% plus a bigger risk premium on top of it. Maybe you want you know 3 4 5%, whatever it is, to, to buy those. Um, and the same process applies to when you are looking at um, uh, shares, um, um, other asset classes. Basically, you're going to want to look at the flow of income that is coming from that in the future, and you're going to want to discount it by um, the risk-free rate plus whatever risk premium that you put on top. And that's particularly the case in high-growth tech. Um, a good example of high-growth tech is going to be something like um, Tesla, where they are investing very considerably in gigafactories, in um, energy tech, in you know Optimus robots and self-drive and all those kind of things. So potentially the the future income stream is is incredibly high, but there were but they are stretched out a long way into the future. So if you've got that long stretch of um, income out into the future. If you have low rates or the rates are moving lower, then what's happening is you are discounting those future income streams by a, um, by a smaller amount and therefore the stock becomes more valuable, which is why, um, well, part of the reason, I mean, there, there are other factors behind it, which is why Tesla had such a, a massive run up. In, in fact, all, all of these sort of tech-like stocks, they, all, they all had this massive run-up um, in the beginning of 2020 because the interest rates were being pushed down, um, therefore lowering the risk premium on long-duration tech and other things like that. So all assets rose over the 2020 period, but it was, it was tech stocks that did especially well out of it, which is why um, I invested so heavily in Tesla in... Um, 2020. As soon as I saw that this this process was happening, that they were injecting a huge amount of liquidity in the process, that it was going to push down um, yields on the risk-free rate effectively. That here was a company which I liked anyway because I liked the fundamentals of it. Um, I could see that 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 future discounted stream was going to get even cheaper. Um, it just became such a such a screaming buy. Um, and, and, and to my immense frustration, I, I just sort of rang it, rang everybody I knew and, and, and sort of begged them to, to get their money into the market. Um, but they, they basically thought I was all mad because, um, you know, you, every time you turned on the news, what you saw was, um, you know, lockdowns, COVID is going to kill us all, um, chaos and all the rest of it. Um, but what I was seeing was liquidity being injected into the market and the second order effects was going to be, um, the, the knockdown of the risk-free rate um, and the debasement of the currency and so on. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com.